0: much. Alright, everybody good? We good? Okay. Good, good. I like that. I want to start in Matthew 21st chapter. Last week we talked about the new normal. Okay? I was going to say this is the new normal part two. I'm changing the term a little bit, alright? This is the new ancient normal part two, okay? Because... We're not doing anything inventive here. We're just trying to go back and see, God, what do you want us to do? And we're trying to look at our own patterns and habits that we've gotten into, and we all do. And we talked about last week some of the things that we just have to change and do differently. Now, that needs to become the new normal. It's really an ancient normal. Okay, we're going back. So, in Matthew 21st chapter, as we uh, consider part two of this... Jesus is already in trouble, and he's uh, uh, heading for a lot more trouble. He has, of course, all this his teaching at the end of three years, and everything is heading to God. And the opposition is cranking up the heat. Jesus could have avoided the whole thing by not being Jesus. <laughs> you know, let me just get along. Let me plug into a tradition let me be a nice, synagogue-going person. But that wasn't who he was. He went to the so The synagogue was good. That was wonderful. But he went after the heart. And as God visiting the earth, he talked about what's important. And so... He gets challenged by the religious authorities about the authority. He says, okay, where do you get your authority from? How can you speak like this? And he turns it around and says, well, let me ask you a question. John's baptism, was it from man or from heaven? And that put them in a quandary. Because they're supposed to know a false prophet from a true prophet. And they think, my goodness, if we say it was from man, all of the people are going to be against us. If we say it's from heaven... Then Jesus would go, why didn't you listen to him? So we're stuck, so we said we don't know. Which really is a humiliation, because they were supposed to know. It was their responsibility to discern false teaching from true teaching. Well, Jesus, after that encounter, he says this. Verse 28, Matthew 21. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Ooh. They were resistant to a new normal. They had, had their normal. We're just going to do things our way. What the Father wanted was not uppermost in their mind. It was okay to consider, but not uppermost. So Jesus tells us a parable. And he goes, tax collectors and prostitutes are in the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And these were the ones. These were the people that knew the scripture. These were the people that did the tradition. And all these people that didn't but just had a broken heart. Man, I want to repent. I want to change. They're coming in. They're accepting it. You know why? Righteousness was important to them. What do I need to do to be right with God? Righteousness. And so Jesus says, "You know what? Let's divide it up here. Anyone who hears, any audience who hears my words, you're going to be like one of the two sons. You're going to end up. Uh, I don't know, boy. I, there are times I've sat in messages and it's like, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't think I want to do that. But then I go back and I study. It's like, well, it's biblical. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> so I'm going to do it." There are other times I yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. I never did. Wow, preach, teach, man, that's awesome. Didn't do it. Had no intention. I just, I like the high of saying that. I like appearing, you know, team, team player. But the bottom line is, do I do what the Father wants me to do? Not do I talk about it. Not do I have the right life.
1: Do I do it?
0: That's what's going to get Jesus crucified. He expected people to do it. And they didn't like that teaching. Suggest all you want, but do not expect. Don't do that. And Jesus said, the bottom line is, what does the Father want? Guys, I would like to tell you that obedience is the easiest thing in the world. I'd like to say, you know what? Obedience is like getting the lottery. It's just absolutely
1: wonderful. I love it. Every morning I get up, I can't wait to obey.
0: I like to say that I'd be lying through my teeth. You know why? Because obedience usually involves me surrendering and saying, Jesus, your Lord, I'm not. And there are times when I'll, I'll know something I need to do and I'll go, but my heart's not into it. So I better not do it. And guess what? I never do it at that point. You need to always go with your heart. I'm for that. And deal with your heart. But when we find out what the Father wants, what he has said, and we find ourselves, my heart's not into it, guess what? Just start doing it. And see God change your heart. That's what I've had to do. We follow somebody that did not feel like going to the cross. Read any of the accounts of Gethsemane. That's not a good feeling though. He's not in there, rah-rah, man, just, this is wonderful. He's saying, you know, is, is there any other way? I know what you're willing. Is there any other way? Three times. It wasn't just he wasn't just gonna say, okay, there's no other way. No, three times he comes back. Are you sure there's not another way? Are you sure there's not another way? And sometimes, some of us feel guilty. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, I know I need to do the right, but my heart's not into it, but I'm going to do it. Don't feel guilty. That's pretty Christ-like right
1: there. <laughs> I mean, don't just,
0: you know, live your life with your heart always being outsourced of sorts. I haven't obeyed. Surrender that to God. Let Him change your heart. But God bless you for being like Christ and doing what God says. Real quick, I want to turn to some scriptures. First of all, 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John 5. And in verse 3. The writer said, and you know what, I appreciate so much Eric and Gap, reading from 1 John 4. Sometimes sit down and read all of 1 John, in you want to say... It's so practical, so, wow, let's just kind of cut through a lot of things, and this is great. But notice what he says here, verse 3, first John 5, This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Mm. Sometimes it's easy to say, I love God, I love God, I love God. Sometimes, you know, we can get in a song, I feel like I love God. I love God. And that's wonderful. Enjoy your feelings. But what does God think is love? I can say, I love you, Deb, all I want. The real issue is that she feel
1: love. I can
0: say, I love you, but if I'm doing everything that goes against her feeling love, I mean, my words are empty. They mean nothing. The person that decides you know, what the, the loving is the recipient of Right. That's it. And God says, you want to love me? Yes, I want to love you, but gosh, I don't see you as different than a physical So What do I do? Obey my commands. Mm. Now, don't tell me I don't love God. Hey, I'm not telling anything. I'm just saying what the Bible says. If you're not obeying, you don't love God. I have this feeling. If you're not obeying His commands, you don't love I didn't write it. I didn't write it, I just read it, alright? And I'm trying to apply it to myself, but I tell you what, that has gotten me through a lot of stuff to go, Sheridan, quit being afraid, quit being rebellious, Father, I love you, here's how, boy, I'm afraid, I don't want to do, but I'm going to go ahead and do what you said. It is when you do it, not intend on it, I'm going to pray, you pray about it, absolutely. People, some people spend the rest of their life praying about something they never do. That's never been the purpose of prayer. Never. Do you love God? If you obey His command. You love. Him. We understand that talk is cheap, right? Matthew seven, verse twenty-one. You guys know it. Jesus is teaching some Mount. He goes, you know what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. What? I thought he wanted to go, Jesus is Lord, he's going to do it. No, 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 it's more than words. He says, only he who, what, does the will of my Father. That's action. Mm. That's obedient. who does the will of my Father in heaven. He goes, many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Wow. Perform miracles in your name? Wow. Cast out demons in your name? Wow. And what's he going to say? I never knew you. Mm. What do you mean? You didn't know me. What? I, I, I called you Lord. I said, you didn't do the will of the Father. Go back to the parable of the two sons. What's the bottom line? The one that does the will. That's the new ancient normal. It's an obedient people. And I'm going to talk about the blessing of obedience in a second. But one other passage, and then we're going to do something a little different. John 12. Now anytime you say we're going to do something a little different, people get nervous. Alright? You know, I'm not going to have people. Hey, brother or sister, let's we'll stand up. No, no. I, you know. I've seen some wild things. <laughs> okay, so don't worry. John 12. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Mark was served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, now listen to this, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth a year's wages. That's a good point. He's bringing up a good point. see, John is writing this 30 years after what happened, so John knows the end of the story. Look what he says right after. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what? was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Other uh, passages, like in Matthew, the parallel passage say, what she has done, wherever the gospel goes, this will be done in memory of her. And that story is circled the globe. What's it a story about? It's about a heart pouring out sacrifice, love of God and doing costing something and in this moment Jesus telling all his apostles look at that example that's what I'm talking about that is like me, you give you obey, you pour out you know the thing about Judas there is that was a good argument but again, words are cheap aren't they? The real issue was, he wasn't helping the poor. He was helping himself with money bags. You know the kicker about Judas that always blows my mind? Read the, the account of the, the Last Supper. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And no one knew who that was. Now stop and think about that. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, and Nathanael, they've been with Judas for Three years! Three years! When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, you would then come and go, uh, my money is on Judas. This guy, this guy, this guy's questionable character. He was so good, no one knew. After three years, he was so good, nobody knew. He sat in church all the time. Nobody knew. But God himself. The bottom line is always going to be obedience. If there is a God, if there's not a God... Don't obey. Crying out loud, <laughs> laugh. don't do that. Do whatever you want. If there is God, the Almighty, Creator, He has left His Word, and our minds, darkened by sin, can't figure it out on our own, so we follow His Word and obey. And what's the result? Growth, change, refreshing. We experience God being alive in our life. I have three friends of mine I've asked to share with you all. These are three sisters from New Jersey. I have known them all since 1989. And they've got some things, you know, some changes they've experienced. But see, change is a normal thing. That's a new normal. When the Spirit of God controls you, and sometimes you may change after you've been in the kingdom for 20 some years. That phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> That's in a world that doesn't believe in God. If You don't have God, you don't believe in God, you're right. You are just going to be a victim of whatever your habits are. These also aren't dogs, neither are you. These are wonderful sisters, dear friends the Deb and I. And so I'm just going to come and share what God's done in their life and then I will close it out here. And the first one to share will be Denise, okay? Denise Royal is going to come yes. and then Candy Piccolo and then Nellie Yard will not catch it up. So you go right here
2: I almost feel like saying amen. We can wrap it up. Because <laughs> he shared so much of Kind of my story. Thank you. Um, again, my name is Denise Royal. I've been a disciple for 27 years. It hurts me to say that out loud. 27 years. Actually, um, just before I got baptized, I met with Debbie Wright at your house in Midland Park, long time ago. <laughs> so she actually helped me make sure that I truly was going to be making Jesus Lord, and I wasn't making a rash decision. So, my story. We don't have enough time for my story, but I can tell you about what's been happening with me lately. Um, When I first got baptized, I was super excited I got baptized. I could see the evidence of God's grace working powerfully in my life. It was undeniable, the changes that God was bringing about for me. I met a really cool guy, you know, um, 20 I've been a disciple for 27 years. We'll be married this year, 25 years we'll be married. Um, and we have a, a daughter, she's 16 years old, and I have a 30-year-old stepdaughter as well. Um, but somewhere along the line, kind of like what Sheridan was preaching about, I got stuck in my relationship with God. I was coming to church, I was serving God, I was doing disciple things, um, We lead a Bible talk, I disciple people. I mean, we were doing disciple things, but I still felt stuck. I wasn't feeling that freedom that the scriptures talk about, and I couldn't figure out what was going on, what had me stuck. And um, through a lot of different things, um, another recent change was that my mom got diagnosed with cancer. She got diagnosed in April, She passed away May 13th. She had some rare, rare form of cancer that literally she lived for a few weeks after that. So my new normal, that has been literally what I've been living, a new normal, trying to figure out um, just how to be without my mom. But along the way, I also found out something. I had something called codependency. That's a whole nother story, Bible talk, sermon. Um, and once I found out that I had it, what do you do with it? What, what happens? What, what am I supposed to look at this thing like now? So I started to seek out help, and I went to a therapist. I still am going to a therapist, and that was great and was helping me, but I needed a spiritual. I wanted a spiritual perspective on what God would want me to do and how God wanted me to be. And then, lo and behold, when you pray, God answers prayers. He hears you. We had a Wednesday night service where Gap came. I'd never met Gap before. Gap and Carol came to our Wednesday night women's midweek, and they shared about, of all things in the world, codependency. So after the service, I ran up to Gap, and I'm like, you got to, I don't know where you live, what you do. I think at that point I was willing to travel to Chicago if I had to. (laughs) That's where Carol was from. Um, But I asked Gap if she could do something for for us in New Jersey. And lo and behold, I didn't know that several other sisters, two of which you're going to hear from, had the same conversation with her. Sometimes Satan tricks us into believing that we're by ourselves, Mm -hmm. and we really are not. So here we are all struggling with the same thing, not really knowing it. And so we started this group, um, and as a result of going to this group, um, I learned about this thing called codependency. And one of the cool things was that when Gap and Carol shared, I saw me. Have you ever been somewhere where you thought, did somebody tell them something about me? But I saw me in everything Mm -hmm. that they shared, my life, Mm -hmm. my thought patterns, and that message that you preached that day, Gap, it gave me hope it awakened something in me. And I was supposed to, I brought my little tissue. Um, probably should have brought more. Um, but it awakened hope in me to deal with all of these things that were going on inside of me. And I can't begin to tell you the impact that that group has had on my life. It's impacted not just me individually, but my husband, my family, the people around us. We met every week for about 15 weeks Uh, on a Saturday morning. She came all the way out to New Jersey, so today is our time to come out to her. And I looked forward to those meetings every week, and um, as a result, I learned many things and changed in many ways, but I wanna just tell you guys briefly about two. One of the things that I learned was I was believing so many lies from Satan, and because of it, I was making bad choices. Um, John chapter 8 verses 31 through 32 to the Jews who had believed him Jesus said if you hold to my teachings you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free I had allowed codependency to create such a negativity in me Um, it stifled my growth it stifled my relationship with God there was no grace and so much judgment It was like I had become a master of the law, but I had neglected my own personal relationship with God. There's a difference. There was so much fear and so little love. I was stuck on being perfect because that is what I thought it meant to be righteous. I had enough religion to make me understand that I was lost, but not enough to help me celebrate and appreciate what being saved truly was. So many works and still not feeling fulfilled or connected. Now I'm truly learning to be free. And experience the freedom that God has given us in Christ. Once I was able to identify the lies and hold them to the incredibly beautiful and bright light of Jesus. And place them before our amazing God. I was able to start to see clearly, literally like the blinders were taken away. The lies began to be exposed. God's truth started to set me free. There's a spiritual battle, whether you want to fight or not, whether you're ready for it or not. Satan has a plan for each and every individual sitting in here. Whether you think you're prepared or you're not, there's a battle. There was a spiritual battle that Satan waged for me when I was a little kid. It began in my family, not through, I don't believe, well, I'll get to to this part, but I believe that that Satan has a plan for everybody, and sometimes we think, oh, when we're ready to fight is when it begins. It begins way before you're ready. Satan's not waiting for you to be ready. (laughs) Uh, if you're ready, then it's not really a fight, you know. So he's going to come at you. He's looking for an opportune time. And for me, it started when I was a little kid. It started in my family. I started to develop patterns that had me trapped, and I didn't know how to free myself from them. If everybody can just write down Ephesians chapter six, verses six—I'm sorry, verses ten through twenty. You guys are all familiar with it. In order to fight the battle, you have to put on the armor of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 is all about. And through the class that Gap led with us, I learned how to put on the full armor. I had half the armor on. Not even half. Some days I probably didn't even have all of it on. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. I only had part of the armor on. So Satan's blows. His flaming arrows were penetrating because I wasn't fully protected. I had become a disciple, but I wasn't ready for Satan's attacks, and I wasn't fully protected. I hadn't put on that full armor. For instance, verse 14 says, The belt of truth, because I was believing lies, I had no belt. I, was be- uh, I thought that my righteousness was about being perfect, so I didn't have my breastplate. <laughs> So here I was trying to fight. Satan just didn't have an arrow. An arrow is enough to kill, but it was a flaming arrow. It's meant to destroy. So it's not just hurt me, it's destroy me. It's kill me. It's take me out. And what if I would have continued in those patterns, that is exactly what Satan would have done. And it would have been passed down to my daughter. And if she doesn't change or wouldn't have the opportunity to change, that would be passed down. So praise God for him stopping that cycle of dysfunction and showing me a different way. The scriptures set me free. I'm learning now I don't have it all on straight. I'm still learning. I'm a work in progress. I'm learning how to rejoice in the moment and not having to have anything having to have everything perfect. I'm learning to experience God's freedom. God is amazing and to him be all the glory.
3: Hi, my name is Candy Piccolo. This is the first time ever I've talked in front of a group, so I have to start with this scripture. Ephesians 6:19. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, I'm sorry. <laughs> the words may be be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I should not be afraid. And we're talking about fear this morning. But fear is what has crippled me the 28 years I've been a Christian and the 40 years I have known my husband. I'm a codependent. My mother's codependent. And let's Denise was saying, my son is a codependent. The catalyst of the change was my granddaughters. Because the alarms, the destruction that I was witnessing in my son's family from alcoholism, it was, I don't know, I can't even tell you. My granddaughters were just in front of my face. You have to stop this cycle somewhere. And you need to be equipped to do that. And I, in this 28 years, I've tried Alanon. I've been Gammonon and everything else. But you need God, you need scriptures, you need people in your life who can help you. So um, Gap graciously shared one um, midweek on codependency and how she was a part of a group in Illinois where they would come together to share their struggles, to help each other, encourage each other, you know, to fight the pain, to overcome. And in September, she came out to New Jersey. And we started our group with very five, very... We were naive with codependency, very naive, but we were faithful. We were willing to be vulnerable. We were dedicated, and we were humble to begin a journey of recovery, which is what we all need, is a journey to recovery. It was during this time, though, okay, so this is September. We were thrown into an IVA storm, the hurricane. I can't even tell you, I don't know where I'd be if we weren't in that group. My daughter's alcoholism. Escalated. My son was calling me. I need an escape route. I can't do this anymore. The pain, I mean, if anyone's been there, and I'm sure there are people have been, it is just it will take you out. It will just take you out. But that wasn't only it. We were told in late October that my husband had damaged his cervical spine, the spinal cord. It was irreversible. He had to go have surgery. It would render him unable to function on his own and able to not work. And for me, all I saw was just, I mean, what? I mean, really, what, there's nothing I could say. Life was crashing down full speed. I mean, it was, I had so much loss of hope, happiness, and, you know, we're so in control when we're codependents because we have everything in place. We have everything in place. We don't, you know, But without the faith, courage, heart, sacrifice, and love of Gap and the women in that group, I don't know where I'd be today. But I just don't know where to be. I just am speechless. I would have completely half fallen apart. I think they would have put a bed for me in some hospital somewhere. There was nothing I could do. However, though, God, always faithful, but through devotion to one another, prayer, scripture. It can, you know, God continues to work in our lives to make us who we need to be for him. I believe Gap had vision for who we were through God's eyes when we don't have that ourselves. And in that, you know, you become equipped. This class was great, the group. You learn about this cycle of pain. You learn how to stop and consider, which is to, you know, what are my feelings? You know, what is the truth? Because I was codependent and you have no idea. You learn to take ownership and talk in the I, not the you or the we. You detach. Be the author of your life. Don't let other people control it or other situations. You get to grieve and mourn, allow yourself to go through the process of, I'm not going to have a normal life. I'm like, you know, life's not perfect. And I learned to say no before I could say yes, which was setting my boundaries, which I did not have. So, anyway, the group was powerful and life-changing, and nothing, nothing less than a miracle. And I just want to read this song. This is the song, Just Be Held by Casting Crowns, and it's my heart song, it's my theme song. I will try to get through this. Hold it all together. Everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you are tired of fighting, chained by your control, there's freedom in surrender. Lay it down and let it go. So when you're on your knees, where I've been for a long time, and answer seems so far away, you are not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. Your world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. You are on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. If your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I still love you. But if my eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and always will. And not a tear is wasted. and time you'll understand. I'm painting beauty with the ashes. Your life, my life, is in your hands. Lift your hands, lift your eyes, in the storm is where you'll find me. And where you are, I'll hold your heart, I'll hold your heart. Come to me, find your rest, in the arms of a God who won't let go. John 16:33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. But, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah. So, amen.
4: Okay. Good morning, San Island. It's great to be here today. You guys are on, I mean, it's incredible to have Debbie and Sheridan here and it just brings back memories. I love them. You guys are so lucky to have them and I know you know. Okay, so my name is Nellie Arid. I've been a Christian since 1986. Like many of you here, I've had my share of good times, and I've also had very difficult times. As a Christian, I've experienced grief, rejection, disappointment, shame, abuse, and much more. I can stay here all day. As the years went by, I felt stuck emotionally and spiritually. I was reading my Bible, I was having my quiet times, but I just wasn't connecting with God on a deeper level, and I didn't know why, and I couldn't figure out why. I was hurting inside. I was unhappy, angry, bitter, and resentful. I blamed my situation on my circumstances and everyone around me. I struggled with comparisonitis. You guys know that, right? It's the sin of comparing others, yourself, you know? You guys can't relate to
1: that.
4: My identity and my self-worth came from how I measured up with people and what people thought of me and the possessions that I had as opposed to what they had and all the good things that came to me from God as opposed to what they didn't have. That's what identified me that's where I got myself worth from fear controlled me and I was consumed with controlling people and circumstances my emotions were raw they were intense and I, I was just miserable I felt hopeless and I felt alone through the spiritual discovery group I learned to examine my thoughts, my feelings, my motivations. I learned to get in touch with the pain that I had stuffed all these years, you know, all the challenges and all the hardships that I'd gone through. I never dealt with them. As a disciple, you think, okay, I'm just supposed to go on. Forget about those things. But those things, when I didn't deal with them, were really killing me inside. And that's what I was able to do for the first time ever. To deal with the pain, and the disappointment and the rejection, and the hurt, and the abuse, and on and on and on. And it didn't feel good at the time. I felt like this ball of emotions was coming out. But it was really good for me. I learned to take responsibility for my sins, and the condition of my heart. I got honest with who I was, with God, I mean God knew it anyway, I mean who was I trying to pretend, but I also got honest with the sisters around me. I saw all the ways that Satan had twisted my thinking, he had fed me, he had fed me lies all my life about who I was and what was important to me and, and, and just everything and he just fed me lies and I believed them. And I was able to identify what was lie and what was the Bible. I mean, that's the basic thing we study in the Bible when we're studying with people. You know, are you going to follow your emotions or are you going to follow the Bible? But yet, in my own personal life, I was believing my emotions and my, the lies that Satan had told me, as opposed to what the Bible was saying to me. Looking at the inside and working from the inside empowered me to be able to have control over my emotions and how I view my circumstances. I now see my struggles as opportunities to glorify God. I know I am damaged and broken emotionally. I know that. I can't change that. But I also know that God is able to use me through my damaged heart and through my circumstances and that he can use me, as broken as I am, to glorify him. I was looking for love and acceptance from everyone around me and everything around me. But I wasn't, I was missing to get that love and acceptance from God. I don't, I don't feel like I need, although I am tempted, but I don't feel like I need to compare myself with other people anymore because the very fact that my self-worth has already been established by Jesus when He died on a cross for me. Not 30 years ago when I became a Christian, but even now and every day. And that gives me security. Amen. I had so many sins in my heart. But God forgave me. And, and because of the forgiveness that He's given me, I, I, I was able to like go with the bitterness that was in my heart for so long. And I was able to forgive people. Um, Slowly and surely, God is healing my wounds. My relationship with God is now much deeper and more authentic. I never thought I'd get there, but it's getting there. I'm not there yet, but it's getting there. I'm at peace with myself. I don't feel the need to control people like I used to. Because I trust God. I am more confident and secure... Because I know I am precious to Him. As a result of the changes that I feel in my heart and that are going on in my mind, it's as if the chains that were binding me, that were like suffocating me all these years, have just come off. I feel liberated. I feel free. I, I, I feel I can actually enjoy being a Christian, I can enjoy my relationship with God. Don't get me wrong, I'm still learning, okay? I'm not there yet, I have a long way to go, but I feel like I'm on the right path. I feel like I have all the tools that I need to fight Satan and and he still hits me with the lies, you know? It's kind of ingrained in your mind, you behave the way you are, it's because of the way that you've been all these years. It's kind of hard to change that, but when you have your perspective right and you've got the right tools in your hand, you're able to get through that. I'm so thankful for God's mercy and his patience with me. I'm thankful for the the spiritual discovery group and the women in the group. You know, we've gone through this together. We have fought our battles together and we've become really, really close. And I'm just so thankful for God that He's actually pulled me. I feel like I'm becoming a Christian all over again. You know, He pulled me out of the world 30 years ago, and He's pulled me out of my misery now, and and He's got incredible plans for me. I just can't wait to really discover what His plans are. So thank you for listening.
0: Go ahead and get making your way up here. You get ready to close. Uh, I'm going to, to read and just listen. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His light with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to thank these sisters for
1: opening <clears> their heart and their
0: <throat> Many of us can relate exactly what this is, they said. All of us can relate to something that they said. Here's the thing I want you to see. They've been disciples 28, 29 years, longer, 30 years, and have to still change. Have to still change. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, they talk about the pain, and they—we all got the pain. We all got the brokenness. And once something gets a little bit better, maybe something else is become aware of You're not. There's nothing wrong with you in that sense. You are human. You have been hurt and torn by sin. And God is all about healing. And once you heal something, there'll be something else to heal. It doesn't mean, well, what's wrong with you? Can't you ever spike the ball? When you die, and see them face to face <laughs> spike the ball. Until then, it is a journey of change. Change means growth. And growth means learning more and more and more. I want to challenge every one of you. Go to the, we call them the sin list in the Bible. Read through that. And don't get accused. Get resolved. Rather than see it as, well, I'm nothing. Why see it as, well, look, here's an opportunity for healing. I've been a God. I'm going to repent of that. And I'm going to get healed of that. I've been immoral. I'm going to repent of that. I've done, I've lied. I've done that. Rather than, oh, I'm no good. Why don't you say, I'm in need of forgiveness. And look, what an opportunity to change. And change comes when you do what the Father says. Notice, they all three did something. They didn't just sit there and say, I need it. They did it. All, many of us, to, we've done a lot of things. I, I've talked to people. i talked to someone recently who said, I just need to confess a lot of things. And they just unloaded and confessed. And they go, man, I feel a lot better. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. That, that command to confess our sins, his command is not burdensome. That's right. Hiding... And playing a game is burdensome. Right. But I said, you know, here's the thing I want you to be encouraged about. You know why I can help you and this other person help you? It's because the real you showed up. Mm-hmm. Not the fake you. Amen. If the fake you comes, I'll help you change costumes. Right. I'll give you some scriptures and you'll change the costume. But the rock will remain. And I'll leach out. And There's nothing anyone can do to help you. God cannot help, um, or God can help an honest liar. Or an honest immoral person. Or an honest thief. Or not, you know why? Because they get honest, they come to life. You can help that. You can't help a dishonest. They can. For the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. We have the blessing to be able to change. We're not going to change all at once. But today, what will you do? You never become a Christian today. What will you do? I just say, do. Christian, today, what will you do that the Father has said? Do. What today? It's January 17th. We have today. Don't know if we'll get tomorrow, but we've got today. Let's do it today. Singers, let's all stand. Singers, and close out with a song by the break.